Good morning, everyone. And I'm glad each one of you are here. And first, I'd like to say there's been a number of people that have told me I look really nice today. And uh, number one, I want to say thank you. And my next question is, what do I normally look like? Anyway, <laughs> a few announcements. You know, one of the things I wanted to mention is, uh, you know, during this time, we have not had children's church or nursery. And so one of the things that a, a precious brother from our church has done is he's hooked up a closed-circuit TV downstairs. And so anyone who has children, if they become, you know, a little bit antsy, you can go downstairs, the children can play, and you've got a big, huge screen with scene service live, just to mention that. Also, adult dinner night will be this Tuesday, September 20th, at Jammers. And we have a sign-up sheet out there. We already have a number of people that have signed up. Put your name down if you'd like to go, so that when I call in and make the reservations, we have the right number, okay? And also, um, Wednesday evening Bible study will resume this week. And through the winter, we're on, only going to have it every other week. And uh, so many of those that actually come physically are my age and stuff. You know, it's hard to see at night. And so we'll be having it every other Wednesday, uh, beginning this Wednesday, this week. And also, our covered dish dinners will resume in January because the, the third week of next month is Thanksgiving. Third week of the next month is Christmas. So we'll be resuming our covered dish dinners um, in January. And also, I want to mention, Frank mentioned it this morning, Pastor Frank, you got to listen to his message if you missed the first service. It was awesome. And, uh, but anyway, we have the Christmas child boxes. Those are put out by Samaritan, uh, Samaritan's Purse, the Franklin Graham organization. And it's a beautiful thing. There's, there are all the instructions in the inside. And what we do is we get those you know, filled up, and they go to children all over the world. You know, our kids on Christmas morning, they sit in front of the tree and they've got all kinds of presents and, you know, and, and all this. But these are kids that have nothing. And you should see, maybe we can uh, get the uh, clip, you know, to show, okay? Chuck, maybe we can get, not right now, but I mean, maybe one of these weeks to show. And it has uh, actual videos of these children opening their Christmas boxes on, on Christmas Day. It's, it's just very beautiful to see. And also, you can, ladies, you can sign up for the Women's Bible Studies uh, study, there are books available. You can get the books from, uh, from Vi. And uh, it's a great book. And, and I just really envy you ladies. It's going to be a super Bible study. And um, also, uh, we need to be praying for uh, Michelle and Terry's uh, nephew, right? Is that right? Who? Terry and Bob. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> They're thinking, What? <laughs> But uh, Terry and Bob, you know who Terry and Bob are, but their nephew, Mason, um, had a, a transplant that didn't take. And so we need to be praying that uh, a donor would be made available and he'd be able to have um, another transplant soon. And um, so let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for your word because your word really is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And through your word, we find direction for this life and also peace as well, as there are so many distractions and so many discouragements that come our way. But in your truth, we find solace. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, as we break open this portion of Scripture, it would really speak to our hearts and encourage our souls and give us direction. And Lord, most of all, we desire to serve you. 
So I pray that your word would give us the instructions and the peace and, and also the anointing that we need to be your servants in this world. As this world gets darker, your light shines brighter. And so use us, Lord, I pray. And now come, Lord, and minister to these, your people, as we break open your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, um, one of the things that I always encourage people in is when we're, when we're covering the Old Testament, a lot of people have a tendency to think, that really doesn't apply to me. You know, I, I'm a New Testament believer. Well, we are. But the fact is, is the Old Testament gives us the very purpose and reason for the New Testament. And the Old Testament has Christ all through it, has redemption all through it. And so as we're reading the Old Testament, we need to be asking ourselves, Lord, what are you showing me in this? And it's just like in the portion we're going to be covering this morning. You know, maybe the first time you've ever read it, you might think, what's that? What's in there? There's a lot, as we'll find out. And uh, so in this portion, we're going to be covering two topics that Moses felt needed to be repeated. Remember, Deuteronomy is taken from the Hebrew Deuteronomy, and it means second law. In other words, this is the second time that Moses is repeating the law to the people. You know why? They needed it. Often we have to hear things more than once, don't we? And, um, and actually, I'm gonna, going to be covering the cities of refuge, which is so important for you and I to understand, then also the law, and I'll be continuing it next AM service as well. And um, I love the order in which Moses lays it out in this portion we're covering today. First, he talks about the city of refuge. Then he talks about the law. And the reason I think that's so beautiful, because it's wonderful to know who we can turn to and where we can go even before we even need to know who we can turn to and where we need to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, it'd be one thing if something just comes upon you and you're like, what do I do? What do I do? But how wonderful when the Lord says, here's what you can do when these things do come upon you. And when they do come upon you, now we already know where to go, and that's to Jesus. Run to Jesus. You know, we sing that song, and it's a beautiful song. And um, so that's why I just absolutely love this portion of Scripture. In Psalms... 91, Psalm 91, verse 2, it says, I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him I will trust. And so we're starting off by looking at the city of refuge. And in this psalm, it tells us he, Jesus, is our refuge. He's the one that we turn to. So if you have your Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and Pastor Frank left off in verse uh, 4, 41, or 39, or 40, or 45. For, he left off in verse 40. I'll be picking up with verse 41. Deuteronomy 4, verse 41, 41. Then Moses set apart these cities on this side of the Jordan towards the rising of the sun, that the manslayer might flee there who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in time past. And it's interesting that it says without having hated him in time past, because if he did hate him in time past, it would be hard to prove it was an accident, wouldn't it? So it's just beautiful how, how the word covers everything. Uh, that by fleeing to one of these cities, he might live. Bezer in the wilderness of the plateau of the roof for the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead uh, for the Gideites, and Golan and Bashan for the Manassehites. And so when it's talking about this side of the Jordan, it's referring to those tribes 
that never crossed over. It was before they crossed over into Cana, into the promised land. Remember, Moses brought them right to the river, right to the Jordan. Moses was not allowed to cross over, which we covered, you know, for a couple of weeks ago and last week a little bit. But the children of Israel would be entering in, and Moses was giving them their last instructions. That's why Deuteronomy, the second law, he's repeating it again before they enter in. And the thing that's interesting is he's talking about these three type, tribes, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They asked not to enter in. They said, Moses, we want to stay on this side of the Jordan, but we'll go in and fight with you, you know, in order to secure that land, but this is where we want to stay. And what's interesting about that is Moses conferred with the Lord, and the Lord said, that's okay. As long as they come and they fight with you until the battles are all won and they take the promised land, then they can go back. But what's interesting is those three t- tribes that never entered fully in, their children eventually rebelled against the Lord and they lost their inheritance. That's something good to understand because what it speaks to us is um, even those who don't fully enter in, but they're born again, they're saved, they're Christians, but they don't seem to fully enter into their walk with the Lord. And all of us know people like that. We know they're saved, we know they're born again, but they just kind of, you know, just plot along. They, they don't seem to have any passion for God. They don't fully enter in. The fact is they're still saved. You know, we have no right to judge people according to our own standards because our standards always include us, but it doesn't include others. Have you ever noticed that? I wish they could be more like me. You know, we're never saying, I wish I could be more like them. I wish they could be more like me. We are, we are very uh, self-centered that way. But the reality is, we can't judge people by our standards. The fact is, there are many people that are born again, that are saved. They're going to heaven. If the rapture comes, they're going to be taken. But they haven't fully entered in. It's, it's like, and we all know people like that. It's like they haven't fully gotten it. And it's kind of like these three tribes, uh, Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manassas, that never entered in. They never fully entered in, but they got it. They wanted to serve the Lord. But the sad part of it was is that their children eventually rebelled against the Lord, and they lost their inheritance, as we all know from studying Scripture. And um, so we have to understand that God in his mercy... Even those that failed to cross over, he provided cities of refuge, places they can flee to when they have sinned. And so even those people who maybe haven't fully, you know, committed themselves to Christ, haven't fully, you know, uh, surrendered themselves to the Lord, God still has a place for, for them to run to for refuge. Jesus is our refuge. And we run to Jesus and we say, forgive me a sinner. And guess what? He does. He doesn't say, well, before I forgive you, you need to get a couple things taken care of in your life. Before I forgive you, you need to get a few things straight. He doesn't say that. He says, forgiven. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the God that we serve. And, um, you know, so often um, we have such a tendency to judge others. And Pastor Frank talked about it in his message this morning. That's not our point. It's not our purpose. Our purpose is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. 
On these two hinge all the law and the prophets. So we don't love people because we want to show everyone how, you know, altruistic we are and how wonderful we are. Oh, I'm such, look at how I love everybody. We love people because Jesus first loved us. And when we're in love with him, the natural outflow is to love others. And to love others means we're not judging them and putting all kinds of standards that, standards that they need to meet. We're just loving them and encouraging them in the Lord. And, um, but having said all this, remember that those people that never fully entered in, their children ended up losing their inheritance. And the encouragement that I'm trying to give to all of us is that there is nothing preventing one of us from entering fully in. Do you understand that? Well, I just can't do it. Well, no, of course you can't. Either can I, no one can do it. We enter in because Jesus is the one who made the way. We don't have to try to achieve any standard. We just enter in. But those who refuse, it affects their children, affects their grandchildren, as we studied last week. And the thing we have to realize, though, is that we should be an encouragement to others. You know, so often we look at people, and what we desire to do is to point out everything they're doing wrong, rather than just encouraging them in what they're doing right, encouraging them in the Lord. Because Jesus is our example. And while we were yet sinners, he died for us, leaving us an example that we should walk in his steps. Well, what are those steps? Just having a sacrificial love for others. No matter what we might think about them or what they might think about us, we have a sacrificial love for them. Because we have to always remember those of us that have children, those of us, us that have grandchildren, those of us that are an influence on young people's lives, they learn more by our example than by the things we say. It's so easy to tell, you know, you should do this and you should do that. I don't know why you're not doing this. You might Just walk according to the Lord's standards and let them see the example and learn. And then they will follow in a right way. But it's such a negative thing to always be telling people what they're doing wrong rather than encouraging them in what they're doing right and what the Lord can give them if they continue following him. Because it's an amazing thing because, you know, we can look at our children and grandchildren's misdemeanors, you know, things that they've done wrong, but we also have to realize, so have we done the same thing, right? We've done the same thing. And when we understand that, it gives us more of a compassion and more of, of a willingness to love our children and grandchildren. And I don't mean that just in our biological family. I mean it euphemistically as well, to love our children and grandchildren just because we love them and we want to encourage them in the Lord. And as we live and walk the way the Lord desires us to, they will learn by our example. And um, it's always worth noting that these cities of refuge that are mentioned here were always placed in, in geographically that they were easy to get to. In other words, if you had, for instance, killed someone unintentionally, you didn't have to say, well, how am I going to get there? You know, you have to plan this whole escape route. It's right there, easy to find. And Jesus, for you and I, is as close as our next breath. And we have to realize that the distance between you and I and Jesus, there isn't any. You can't even measure it. There is no distance. 
Have you ever heard people say, I've fallen so far from the Lord? And a lot of times it's just a pity me party. I've fallen so far, the Lord, you know. And people say, I've fallen so far, the Lord. I, I would need a ladder to climb out of this pit. I need a race car to get back to Jesus. Wrong. You want to know why? Jesus is right there. If you, turn right, if you turn around, he's right there. Guess what the word repent means? You all know this. What does it mean? To turn around. That's all it means. In other words, you're going in the wrong direction. I'm so far from Jesus. Well, repent. Jesus, he's right there. You don't have to earn your repentance. You don't have to earn your forgiveness. He paid it all. All to him we owe. You know, sin had painted a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. That's our Jesus. You know, many years ago, I won't get into the whole story, but have you ever tried to uh, cover red paint up? It's so, it's so hard. It's almost impossible to cover red paint. And it's interesting that our sin is contrasted or is given an example of blood, red. But yet, he covered it instantly by his righteousness. Because in his forgiveness, not only is he covering it, it's removed. He takes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. You know, so often we say to one another, well, you always say that. You've done that a million times. Jesus doesn't do that. He takes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. So when you come to, come to Jesus and you repent, confess and repent of something, even if you've you committed that sin 20 times, it's like the first time to him. And then when you confess and repent, he forgives you. It's absolutely awesome to have a God like that. You know, it's, it's interesting too um, because one of the things that tells us in this is that we need to have the law in order to get a good look at ourselves. The next portion I'm talking about the law. The law is like a mirror in which we can get a reflection of ourselves. And maybe I'm the only one who's like this, but uh, just a little confession time here. When I go in the bathroom in the morning, I like to turn the shower light on only. The shower light is very dim. And then I walk in front of the mirror, you know, in front of the sink, and I think, not too bad. <laughs> no, not really. But I, 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 I go and I, I look in the mirror, and I'm thinking, ah, it's okay. But my wife, my precious darling wife, she has this mirror that lights up and it magnifies you about 8,000 times. Have you ever seen one of those? I mean, you look at it, and all you see is one pore. And, uh, and you go in front of one of those mirrors, and it's like, <laughs> I looked in the mirror, and I thought, oh, tails from the crypt. But anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, the point that I'm, I'm getting at, that's what the law does is it gives us a clear and true picture of who we are. Because here's the thing. I might like the dim light and mirror when I'm just looking at myself, just to get a look at myself. But guess what? If I have a sliver or I have a cut or something that needs to be attended to, I like the lit, magnified mirror. Get the point I'm making? So if we really have a right heart towards God, we say, God, let me stand before that lit, magnifying mirror and, and let me see every wicked way in me that I might repent. 
Because when we repent, the sin is gone. I love that Scripture tells us that. It's not anything, and and Pastor Frank Jr. in, in the first service brought this out so beautifully. It's never anything we have to earn. Because if we feel we're earning it, then that means he owes us something, and he owes us nothing. But out of love, he's given us everything. He's given us everything. It's absolutely so wonderful to know the Lord. And um, to know God's will and purpose is so beautiful because it tells us what we need to flee and what we need to go into. Do you understand what I mean? It's, It's not good enough to know you're going someplace. You want to know where you're going. I mean, can you imagine if you got your whole family in the car and you're sitting behind the wheel? This is old-fashioned when dad's, you know, the driver and the head of the family and all that stuff. It's all old-fashioned. But let's say you're sitting in the car and your whole family's in the car with you and, and dad's behind the wheel and, and, and his wife and kids say, hey, dad, where are we going? And dad says, I have no idea. I'm just here. I'm just going to drive. They'd be thinking, cuckoo, right? But... If you have a destination in mind, and dad gets behind the wheel and everybody gets in the car, hey, dad, where are we going? We're going to, what's that ice cream stand Mamie loves? We're going to dad's ice cream. And everybody's, woo! And Papa pretends like he doesn't care. (laughs) But, woo! (laughs) In 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 22 It's beautiful because the example that I'm giving, that you have to flee something and go to something, is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. Flee also youthful lust. So we know what we need to flee. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and the Lord with pure heart. So it's telling us what we need to flee, youthful lust. And understand, youthful lust isn't just for you teens. Youthful lust is for all of us. And, you know, lust begins right from our youth. And we always have to flee from it. And it is not just in the way you might be thinking. It's lust for the world. It's lust for clothing. It's lust for money. It's lust for popularity. It could be lust for anything. Flee it. Because it's always a downer. It's always a bummer. How wonderful it is to know all you have to do is please the Lord. Some of you might be old enough to remember... The Ozzie and Harriet show. Anybody here remember the Ozzie and Harriet show? There's, there's two of you. But anyway, um, Ozzie and Harriet show, and it was the Nelson family. And David Nelson was the one son that all the girls were all over. And he ended up becoming a musician and rock star. Actually, he had a lot of uh, popular songs. But one of the songs he, he sang, and I converted it a little bit to Christian lyrics, and he said, you can't please everybody, so you've got to please yourself. And what I converted it to is you can't please everybody, so you have to please the Lord. You're not going to please everybody. You might have half the people that think what you're doing is right and half the people think what you're doing is wrong. Just look at politics, you know? You can't please everybody, but how wonderful if we just have one objective and one person to please, and that's the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. So now we're picking up in verse 44. Through 49. Now, this is the law which Moses set before the children of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which Moses spoke to the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt on this side of the Jordan in the valley opposite Beth Peor. 
Beth or Bet, however you pronounce it, literally means house. Like Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread, where Jesus was born. Um, in the land of Sion, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, whom Moses and the children of Israel defeated after they came out of Egypt. And they took possession of his land and the land of Og, king of Bashan, two kings of the Amorites who were on, on this side of the Jordan towards the rising of the sun. From uh, Error, uh, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from uh, uh, even to Mount Sion, that is Hermon, and all the plains on the east side of the Jordan as far as the Sea of the Arabah, below the slopes of Pishgah. Now, how wonderful it is that the Lord gave them victories on this side of the Jordan before they actually crossed in, because it gave them confidence. And so often, the Lord does the same thing for us. He gives us these little victories that encourages us before we come to the real battles. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, I remember when I, and it's probably hard for you to realize this because I'm such a perfect, holy, wonderful person, but um, before I got saved, I used to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. Crazy. Bell Air Lawns. And um, I used to uh, drink a lot. And when I got saved, the Lord, you know, gave me the victory over tobacco and alcohol. It completely turned from all of them. It's a long, long time ago now. Those were little victories. Now, I thought they were big victories, and they were for me then, but those are little victories because after I was able to overcome alcohol and tobacco, then I had life. That's where the real battles take place. That's where the real victories are won. And so God, the Lord, might give you little victories in this area and that area and praise him and thank him for it because what he's doing, he's, he's preparing you for the big battles. He's preparing you. You know, when I was in the, in the army, we used to have what were called war games. And some of you who were in the army, you might remember that. And what they were is they were, they were pretend battles. You know, you'd get out there and they'd have two different, you know, uh, units coming against one another trying to take the... Anyway, they were just pretend battles. Why? To prepare you for real battle. And so the Lord gives us these little victories to prepare us for the big victories. Because in this life, the Word of God tells us we shall have what? Tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. You know, understand, when we come to church, it's to be encouraged. Church is not a holy day of obligation. It doesn't put an extra feather in your cap. It doesn't give you an extra notch in the kingdom of heaven. It is love for the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And your neighbor, we come together to encourage one another. Do not forsake the gathering of yourself together as some have grown in the custom of doing, but come together and all the more as you see that day approaching. And it's approaching. I mean, you look at the world, and if you know prophecy, you're thinking, it's close. Well, the closeness and nearness of the Lord should not cause us to be like the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians actually thought Jesus was going to return back in their time, you know, way back then. And so you know what they did? They sold everything they owned, and they went and they sat on top of a mountain waiting for the Lord. And so therefore, Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians. And basically what he was saying, get off the mountain and do the work of ministry. So even though we 
might sense and know that the Lord's coming is near, get off the mountain and do the work of ministry. Do what the Lord is calling us to do. Now, Moses, of course, is preparing them to receive his repetition of the law by telling them why they need his repetition of the law. You know what I'm saying? In other words, why are you telling me that again? Well, this is why. He's telling them why he's repeating the law, you know, once more to them. And, uh, you know, you think about our children. You know, our children say, you've told me that a thousand times. And we say, yeah, and when you learn it, I'll stop. You know, I'm up to about 2,000 on Frank. But anyway, uh, you've told me that a thousand times. But the reality is God does repeat himself to us that we might learn. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, listen to this. Peter is saying, for this reason, I will not be neglecting to remind you always of these things. So Peter wasn't afraid to remind them always. A lot of us need reminders. You know, if I will say to me, when you go to the store, would you pick this up? And I'll say, sure. And unless she texts me, calls me, and texts me again, guess what I do? I forget it. So we need reminders, especially we guys. We need a lot of reminders. Now, one of the things I think about as far as reminding more than 50 years ago, when I was taking education courses, you, most of you know I used to be a teacher, and um, one of the things they taught us in one of the courses that I took was that you have to repeat your instruction to the students three times. These were high school students. You know why I had to repeat them three times? Because the first time you gave the instructions, the kids were like, and the second time they're like, what? Then the third time, oh, okay, then they're ready to, to take it. Well, the Lord has to repeat instructions to us too. Sometimes the Lord speaks something to us. We're kind of like, oh, what? You know? And then he repeats it again. You start taking it seriously, and then you're ready you know, to move in the direction he wants you to go. And um, things haven't changed, have they? Since the beginning of the writing of Scripture, since Moses had to repeat himself. You know why? We are slow learners. Every one of us, we're slow learners. But God in his patience, in his love, and in his faithfulness, he reminds us over and over again. How many times, and I'm not asking for a raising of hands because I don't want to raise mine, but how many times have you said, oh, Lord, I promise I'll never do that again, right? And then you say a week later, oh, Lord, I promise I'll never do that again. The thing is, you can't promise anything. What your prayer should always be is, God, I'm just a helpless sinner. Strengthen me by your Holy Spirit. You give me the power to have victory over this. And he will, because God is good. And then it talks about Moses is speaking a lot to them at Beth Peor, which means house or temple of Peor. That was actually um, the, the place where the Israelites committed blasphemous sins, and many of them were put to death. So when Moses is repeating this law, they're looking at their greatest fall, their, their greatest sin they've committed. And sometimes it's a good thing when the Lord is speaking to us that maybe he shows us those areas that we've really messed up in because that's the very thing that can encourage us to take the steps in victory that we need. You know what I'm saying? Um, worship 
we have to understand, though, can never be forced. It must always be voluntary, otherwise it's not worship. It's either fear or fraud, right? It can't be forced. It has to be voluntary. And the whole point of all this is that he is worthy. There is no God besides our God. I remember years ago I was talking to a Unitarian. There are people that go to a church that believe everything. They believe a million different kinds of gods. And they told me that my God was narcissistic because he only wanted things his way. And I said, my God can't be narcissistic because he's the only God. It's impossible. Everything he says and does is right and pure and holy. And everything he does is out of love. It's never out of self, you know, it's never out of narcissism. It's never out of self-gratification. Everything he does is absolutely out of love. There's no reason God had to create us, but he did. There's no reason God desired to have intimate fellowship with us, but he did. There's no reason after man fell away from God, he needed to go through all the steps that he did to redeem us back to him, but he did. Why? That we might have a worshipful, loving relationship with him. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I mentioned this to you last week, then we're going to be getting into communion. I'm um, reading a Tozer book. I, I probably have read all of Tozer's books at least five or six times, but it's called The Knowledge of the Holies, and it's all about the attributes of God, and one of the attributes of God, of course, is the eternity of God. God always was. We can't understand that, because every way we try to identify God, it is by using examples of his creation, but that's just idolatry. We can't understand who God is. His ways are so far beyond ours that they're beyond finding out, and so we just have to know he's God. And yet, in all of that, he created us to have intimate fellowship with him. But understand, intimate fellowship always has to be by choice. Otherwise, it's slavery. You know what I'm saying? You better do this or else. That's slavery. But if a person is willing to have a relationship with you just purely out of love, it's not forced. And that's the kind of relationship the Lord desires to have with us. That's why he's given us choice. Without choice, there can never be an expression of love. You've heard me use this, use this example so many times. If I go to my wife and put a 45 to her head and say, tell me you love me, baby, and she goes, I love you, that's not an expression of love. It's an expression of fear. But if my wife just meets me at the door and hugs me and says, you're the greatest husband in the world. I, I never knew there was anyone like you ever in life. You know, then that's a, that's, a, that's a true expression of love, you understand. Get my point. So the point that I'm getting at is that God has given us the greatest choice in the world to turn from our sin and turn to him. It doesn't cost us anything. It costs him everything. We have nothing to offer. He offers all. What a God. What a loving God we serve. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for the words that we've covered this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would use them to prepare us for communion, that it might help us to draw ever closer to you. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit and the way he guides and directs us in all things. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, Pastor Frank was mentioning that the Lord kind of tweaked the Passover and gave Christians communion. 
And the whole idea of communion, just think of what the word means. It means to become one with. It means to commune with. He has given us communion that we might understand all that he's done for us and the relationship he has and he desires to have with us. The breaking of the bread, and Jesus said this, this is my body which is broken for you. And the drinking of the grape juice, the fruit of the vine, represents blood. His blood was shed that we might be forgiven. So communion is a beautiful thing because we, we have, most communion tables have on this, do this in remembrance of me. It's taken from 1 Corinthians. And we do that in remembrance of all he has done for us, but brothers and sisters, all he's going to do for us. Because he's done all this for us, and if we die, we go right to be with Jesus. And if we're alive and remain until his coming, we're going to be raptured and changed and meet him in the air. We have not only a lot to look back to to be thankful for, but a lot to look forward to. Brothers,
brothers and sisters understand, his literal body was mangled. His literal blood was shed that your literal sins might be forgiven and that you might literally have the promise of eternal life to be with him forever and ever. Therefore, my friends, take and eat and drink and be so thankful to your God. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrament and the reminder that it is to us. And I pray that you would bless it to our soul's nourishment and cause us, Lord, to be fully given to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would dismiss each one of us with your blessing. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, my brothers and sisters.